Oh, wait, hey, I'll, I'll start us off. So, wait, 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 hold on. Anyway, if you bow your heads. Dear Lord, thanks so much for bringing us back here again safely this week. Uh, please be with the people we mentioned on our prayer list, Robert, and, uh, Jack, and um, Grandmother Nixon. And uh, please help Randy to speak your words. Help us to hear them and help us to use them as we go forward in the week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Awesome. Thank you. For that introduction, though. That's great. Uh, don't know if I can live up to that. It does sort of feel like a homecoming to me. So Family Ties actually started over in the children's building back in about 2001, I think. Does that sound right? Give or take a year or so. Uh, and then we migrated to the, uh, the old dogwood down here at the end of the hall, and then you guys somewhere in there had a few spots downstairs maybe and made your way up here. So it's kind of fun. I never actually was part of the class when you were here uh, as I was off doing other classes, but it is fun to, uh, to be back with you guys. Um, I don't have a PowerPoint. I don't have a video. <laughs> so I'm feeling a little bit, you know, like I'm not well prepared for this class. John, what do you think, man? Are you going to stick around? You're pretty close to the door. <laughs> I think just hear you talk about anything. <laughs> All right. Woo. We know you well enough. All right. Well, good. Fantastic. Well, here's what we're going to talk about, unless you've talked about it recently, in which case I'm going to do a song and dance and change up. Psalm 22, Jesus' cry of dereliction from the cross. All right, fantastic. Charles said, talk about whatever you want. And I'm like, that's great, but without guidance, I'm flying a little bit blind here. Uh, yeah, so here we go. We're going to talk about Psalm 22. And the reason is because uh, this winter and spring, the church is talking about prayer. And if you've been down to the, the dogwood anytime recently and walked around, and look, you'll see little books of prayer scattered all around. Uh, so they've clearly picked, you know, Bill's favorite and Julie's favorite. Everybody has a favorite book of prayer that's sitting down there in the dogwood. And, and that's all uh, well and good. Uh, but if you, if you think about it, what would really be cool is if we could have Jesus' book of prayer. Now that would be cool. I mean, wouldn't you love to be a fly on the olive tree when Jesus was in the garden? You know, Jesus was constantly removing himself to pray. He was constantly separating from everybody to go pray. And I would imagine sometimes he took the disciples with him. Uh, and we know that at one point the disciples said, teach us to pray. And that's when Jesus taught them the Lord's Prayer. But I would imagine that the disciples had the opportunity to hear Jesus pray to the Father all the time. Just It was a constant for three years as they're wandering around the dusty roads of Palestine to hear Jesus pray. So 2,000 years ago, they had this up-close and personal view, and here we are, we flash forward, and we write books on it and all that, and we sort of wish, you know, wistfully that we could, we could be there with Jesus. But it turns out we can't, because Jesus' prayer book was the same one that the ancient Hebrews would have been using for 1,000 years, the book of Psalms. And we know this is true because the book of Psalms is the most quoted book of the Old Testament that you'll find in the New Testament. It's all over the New Testament. The book of Psalms is constantly being quoted. And Psalm 22, the one we're going to look at today, is the one that is quoted the most. So this is the most quoted psalm of the most quoted book from the Bible, or from the Old Testament, in the New Testament. Sorry. <laughs> I, know I, had to do, I was doing the same thing. And Natalie, I was like, trying to figure out, what did I just say? <laughs> Sometimes I don't know. <laughs> Stuff comes out. 
So when we look at the book of Psalms, we are actually looking at Jesus' prayer book. This was Jesus' way of connecting with God. And of course he prayed beyond what was in the Psalms, but we know that this was a huge part of his prayer life. And the Psalms uh, were kind of like, the Psalm actually is from the Greek, it means songs, and they were sung or chanted. And so uh, it's almost like a hymnal in a, in a way. Uh, you can think of the book of Psalms as a hymnal. Uh, that would have been used in worship, not just alone, but in worship, uh, probably both. Uh, and if you've ever studied the Psalms, you know they, they display the full range of human emotions. You've got everything going on. Now, the Psalms are kind of challenging. What makes the Psalms hard? Anyone ever tried to read the book of Psalms? They don't rhyme. They don't rhyme! Frank's <laughs> spot on! Right! Right? They are poems that don't rhyme. I had trouble in English class with poems that did rhyme. These poems don't rhyme, they don't have meter, They're, but what they do do is they have a lot of metaphor and they have a lot of, um, uh, you know, a lot of imagery and a lot of repetition. So if you don't understand one line, pretty good chance if you read the next line, it'll repeat the idea and you can start to unpack what it actually meant. The other, anything else makes Psalms hard? Anyone notice that the Psalms have a lot of like, God, strike down my enemy language in them. Right? They are very Old Testament. There's, if you, you, it won't take you long. By the time you hit about Psalm 6 or so, you're starting to see things like that. By Psalm 137, the psalmist is, is basically praying to God to take the babies of the Babylonians, and, or maybe the Assyrians, I don't remember which, and dash their heads against the rocks. Very unbiblical. <laughs> so you read them, you're like, eh. Really, these were the prayers that Jesus would have been praying, that, that you know, the ancient Hebrews would have been praying? And the answer is yes, because they are an answer. Uh, it's our way of answering God. They're very raw, they're very real, they're very human, uh, which is an important point as we dive into Psalm 22. Now, Psalm 22, it was written by David, or at least we think it was written by David. You know, in the Bible, everything has somebody's name on it, and you're not actually sure, but if it wasn't written by David, it's at least... Davidic, you know, somebody who, in the spirit of David, uh, wrote this psalm. Uh, there's nothing, unlike, some of the psalms written by David, you can actually trace it to a time in his life that we read about somewhere in the Old Testament. Psalm 22 is not one of those, so you can't find this anywhere in his life, which is strange on the one hand. On the other hand, it could be, as you'll see, more of a prophetic psalm. Uh, as uh, we unpack it, you'll see what I mean. We don't know. Maybe it happened and wasn't recorded. Maybe he was actually looking into the future and seeing something that hadn't happened yet. Uh, either way, uh, it was, uh, it's, it's a powerful psalm that, that is going to give us some insight into our faith. So here's what we're going to do today. First, we're going to unpack Psalm 22. Since it is a poem, we're going to try to figure out what on earth it's actually saying. Second, we're going to look at how it uh, links up to the, the, uh, the cross and what's happening in... Um, in Jesus' life and how the two connect together. And then third, we're going to look at what it means for us and our faith. All right? So we're going to unpack it. We're going to connect it to the cross. We're going to connect it to our lives. That's the plan. We do actually need Bibles or Bibles in your phones. Are you like a high-tech only <laughs> <laughs> class? No physical Bibles? Anyone need a Bible? Anyone need a Bible? Gone are the day. We used to walk around. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Once upon a time. Yeah, you just whip it out of your phone. Psalm 22 is where you're going to be. Psalms are in the middle of the Bible. If you don't know where to find Psalms, just crack it about halfway and 
you're pretty likely to land on a song. And we're going to break this right, down yeah. section by section. All right. So we're going to need a few volunteers. We're going to read a few verses at a time. I'd love a volunteer to read verses 1 and 2 to get us started. Anyone want to do it? Chuck, thank you. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I have no rest. Awesome. All right. So Psalms. Let's just uh, uh, talk a little bit about the kinds of Psalms. There are Psalms of, that, that are like hymns, literally. <coughs> psalms of praise. There are Psalms of remembrance, where we're remembering you know, the great acts of salvation that God did once upon a time. There are Psalms of thanksgiving. There are songs, psalms of kingship. There are psalms of wisdom. And there are psalms of lament. Which one do you think this is? <laughs> lament. Yeah, this is a psalm of lament for sure. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? How is the psalmist feeling right now? Abandoned. Abandoned. Yeah. Have you ever felt that way in your life? Yeah. God, where are you? Right? Have you ever prayed to God and wondered, why aren't you answering me? And we also obviously know of people, friends, loved ones who felt that same way. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, right I, I think one of my biggest challenges in my own faith walk is I scream out to God, where are you? And I don't hear an answer. I want to hear an answer. I want action. I want something to happen. I am praying fervently, and I'm not hearing anything. I'm not seeing anything. Nothing's happening. I don't get it. And that's how the psalmist feels. Very raw human emotion, and I want you to know it's normal. It's in the Bible, which normalizes it. God is saying, it's okay, I want you to scream out to me. And that's exactly what the psalmist does. All right, let's continue. I'd love a volunteer to read verses 3, 4, and 5, just to continue on to see how this goes. Oh, thank you. Three, four, five. Yeah. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. And you, our ancestors, put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not <coughs> Fantastic. All right. So we start with a cry of dereliction, a cry of abandonment, a cry of, God, where are you? And now what's suddenly happening? What's it shifting to? Almost immediately. Praise for, what he's already done. Praise for what he's already done. There's, there's, a, there's a really interesting pattern in Psalms. You'll notice it if you read them. Laments turn into this, like this confidence almost. So it goes lament, confidence, lament, confidence. It's almost a ping pong. It's like, I don't know where you are. I don't get it, but I trust in you. <laughs> right? I don't, I don't see any action, but I, I know you've done things in the past. And it's just back and forth, back and forth. Alan? Jesus did this in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Father, please take this cup from me. But, but if it be thy will, thy will be done. Thy will be done. Right. So that, in fact, that was a prayer. That was a lament in the garden. Fantastic. I hadn't, hadn't thought of that. Right. Back and forth. Okay. So we've shifted into trusting. And it's interesting. The confidence is based on past actions of God. Right. That's a sort of an interesting insight. The psalmist is looking backward and seeing God's great acts and is putting his trust in that. Uh, we wouldn't be here today if not for the past acts, because it's, you know, our faith is a communal faith. 
and the generations that came before us mm -hmm. led us, you know, whether our parents or friends or people, you guys together, coming together is what keeps us together, and it's what brings up the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. Here we are 2,000 years later, 3,000 years later from the psalmist. Um, we're still together. We're still together. That's, that's not, you know, we forget that when we're sort of praying for ourselves, <laughs> when we're in this, like, self-centered mode. And the psalmist is saying, look, I don't know where you are for me, but I get that over the course of history, you've been there. Okay, let's continue. So we're starting to unpack section, uh, uh, verses 3 through 8. I'd love another volunteer. We'll just keep going. Six through eight. What did I just say? Three through eight? Six through eight is what I meant. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, yeah, got it. Oh, you got it? Go ahead. Fantastic. You get the next one. Okay. Uh, but I am a worm and not a man, sworn by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him, let him deliver him, since he delights in him. All right. Lament, confidence, where are we now? Back to lament. <laughs> yeah. I'm a worm. What's he saying? I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. I'm not worthy. I am nothing. People insult me. They mock me. Why would they mock this guy? This is a foreshadowing to Golgotha. Yeah, we're going to come to that, Alan. Why are they mocking him? I, I kind of got the sense that this was... Well, I mean, David was kind of, at least twice, right? He was he was run off and deposed as king or whatever. Yeah. He was having to hide in the, in the uh, desert. And so I was kind of thinking this was at some point in one of those... I'm right there with you. Yeah. David is not, I mean, we, everyone's like, oh, we want David's, you know, the return of David's throne and all this. Not everybody liked David. Saul chased him into caves and, you know, the, his son rose up against him at some point. So uh, he's, you know, he's not feeling God's divine protection through a lot of his life. And apparently this is one of those, those times. I was going to Andy Stanley had a, a talk on David uh, that I listened to recently that was really interesting. Because I didn't, I didn't, didn't really have thought through it or paid attention, but like he was in his 70s or something the last time when his son basically uh, turned everybody against him. And so he was off on his own for like seven or eight years. Yeah. And then came back as, as king again at, mm -hmm. at the end. But I mean, yeah. I mean, he was an old man and had been through everything, and then he's like hiding out in the desert again. Yeah, he's in his 70s sleeping on, on a rock in a cave. <laughs> I swore I'd never go camping again after the last Girl Scout camp out of <laughs> I'm not 70, not yet. All right, Kay, help us out with 9, nine and 10, please. Yeah, you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust you, even at my mother's breast. From birth, I was cast on you. From my mother's womb, you have been my God. All right, lament, confidence, back to being a worm, lament. Where are we now? What, praise. Yeah, he's back to praise and acknowledgement. God, you made me, right? This is, this is a foreshadowing of uh, Psalm 119 where you, know, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, so he's, he's not letting go of his faith. This is not a man who's lost his faith. He's confused, he feels abandoned, but he's not feeling like he has no faith. Now it shifts here. In verse 11. Verse 11 goes, Do not be far from me, for trouble is near and there is no one to help. What is he now starting to do? 
do he's 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 been lamenting but he's staying he's confident now he says do not be far from me what is this this is now does this, does this start to sound like prayers that maybe we have right this now he's getting into petition now he's getting into it like the ask god i don't know what's going on but bring it on right come back to me wherever you are he has shifted Unfortunately, he's going to shift away again. Uh, Alan, would you mind picking up verses 12 through 15, please? Sure. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. <coughs> It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shared, and my tongue cleaves to my jaws. Thou dost lay me in the dust of death. Oh. <laughs> I told you, psalms are tough. Does this sound like your prayers? <laughs> Frank pointed out something important, which is this idea that David spent a lot of his time on the run, basically. And he's now referring to, do you think he's literally being surrounded by dogs and lions or is he referring to something else? Something else probably, right? His enemies. Now he probably, he's a, he was a shepherd, right? So he probably actually literally had to fend off lions and wolves and the, and the like along the way. So for him the metaphor would have been very alive. Have any of us ever been surrounded by dogs or wolves or lions? Probably not. So for us the image is not as, as strong. But this is his enemies. These are people with swords and spears and, and the desire to not just dethrone him, but kill him. <coughs> How is he feeling? Well, he's petitioning with a heart of humility, I think, rather than with a heart of conceit or he's bragging. Or definitely hu humble here. This is why I think David is a man after God's own heart, because he's not like, hey, man, I'm, God, I'm, I'm the king. You know, none of that. And so there's deep humility, and he's scared out of his mind. He is so afraid that his body... Has anyone ever felt fear at this level where you can't think straight, your mouth dries up, you get that kind of cotton mouth is what we call it. They called it a mouth of potsherd. A potsherd, by the way, is a dry, sharp, uh, like a, a broken piece of pottery. Mm. Right. So imagine like a piece of clay pottery that's all dry. That's the... We would call it cotton mouth, which is that, you know, you can't... Have you ever been that scared where you can't even put two feet in front of each other, like your body starts to, you know, collapse underneath you? That's, that's the kind of fear we're talking about here. This guy is melting down afraid. He's, he is mentally afraid. He is physically afraid. He is at his absolute limits of, of fear. And he continues in 16 through 18. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. So now you can imagine dogs grabbing at him or people with, with spears jabbing at him and actually opening him up. He is bleeding now, literally, physically bleeding. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. In other words, they're like, this guy, we're going to kill David and take everything. He's, or he's as good as dead. He's as good as dead. All right. So things are bleak. And 
It continues. Who would love to do 19 through 21? Sure, I'll do it. Fantastic. <clears throat> but you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dog. Rescue me from the mouth of the lion. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. So where are we now? Lament, confidence, petition, praise. praise. Right, we're, we're shifting back into the ask again. Right? This is the part of prayer we're comfortable with. This is the part of prayer that modern Christians do all the time. God, thank you for this wonderful day. Please give me this, that, and the other thing. And when you're done with that, I need a few more things for my friends and my family as well. <laughs> right? This is how we pray. And it's in here. It's okay. But it's incomplete. As we're seeing, God wants a... You know, sometimes, people, I don't know if you've ever felt like this. I've felt this way. I don't feel worthy to go to God right now. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to say nice things, so I'm just going to keep to myself. No, God wants us laying it on the line with him. When we're angry, go to God. When we're scared out of our mind, go to God. Right? That's what the Psalms are, are showing us, and what this one is showing us, not just ask for, for you know, the, this and that. Now, something interesting happens here. He's just made a request. You know, don't be far from me. Deliver me. Rescue me. And suddenly there's a shift. And I'm going to read this through to the end. And I want you to hear, just hear what David does. So he's gone from this petition to, I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel, for he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but he has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. At the ends of the earth, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. Those who cannot keep themselves alive, posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring it to a people yet unborn. He has done it. Now what's that? What, what on earth happened between verse 21 and 22? In 21, he's saying, rescue me. Rescue me. And then suddenly in verse 22, he, he erupts into what? Praise and uh, I guess his uh, kind of, uh, affirmation of faith. Yeah. Massive praise. This is like 15 verses of praise, or whatever. Not fast math. Nine, ten verses of praise. That's a lot of praise. You almost sense that he got an answer at that point. And then he exactly. Pivoted. Where's verse 21b? <laughs> That's what I want to know. Where is it? Where is the, oh, thank you for calling off the dogs and the, and the, the lions and, you know, healing. Where is it? There is no verse 21b. But it feels like there's a verse 21 no verse 21b. Somehow, and this is the mystery of this psalm, somehow David goes from this incredible lament, this incredible pain, this incredible fear, to high praise. And we don't know what's happening in between. And at the very end, the last verse, he has done it. Okay, this is 
this is interesting. Does any of this resonate with anything we know from the New Testament? Specifically the cross. Anyone recognize anything from the cross on, in this? So, Alan, you pointed some, something out. What, I forget what it was. What did you point out? The Earth, foreshadowing. Yeah, it, er, earlier, earlier on. Um, <clears throat> well, let's, let's, let's go where it's, it's, pretty, it's pretty explicit. Yeah. They talk about casting lots. Uh-huh. Um, Anyone remember that? What ha who's casting lots for Jesus' clothes? Roman soldiers. Roman soldiers, that's right. He's up on the cross. They're, they're like, well, he's as good as dead, so let's see who gets his, his garment. Yes, my hands and my feet. Up piercing the hands and feet. That certainly happens. Company of evildoers around yeah. me. Who are the evildoers around Jesus on the cross? Roman soldiers. At least one of the prisoners. Yeah. I mean, you know, one the, yeah. I mean they mocked the spectators. Yeah. That thieves. Thieves, yeah, on either side of him. Yeah. And, and, and remember where Golgotha was. Was it in the city? It was actually just outside the city gates. We don't know exactly where. There are some different places that people sort of traditionally think is it. People are coming and going, right? You've got your donkey and your cart, and you know, you're coming in from the fields. And there's the, there are the, that's like execution row, right? They did it very publicly. So people are coming by, and it's like, you know, scorning or whatever they did back then, you know, to the, 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 this, these guys on the cross. Yeah, it's 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 verse eight. That's the he committed his cause to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him. For he delights in him. So this is the mocking that that occurred. Yes. King of the Jews. Yes. Yeah, let you know if, if you're king of the Jews, if you're God, take yourself down from the cross. There you go. And so the mocking that that occurred that happened to Jesus still happens to this day. Yeah. Not to Jesus, but How, Jesus what does it sound like to us today? Jesus is followers. Yeah. How does that sound today? I hear it because I work with a lot of people who are secular. A lot. Unusually. I don't know why, but for some reason. Um, because, they, because they think Christians are hypocrites. Yeah. Hypocrites, you know, idiots. There's a lot of, I've, I've been called lots of things. People sort of have, keep a respectful distance from faith, right? They don't want to go there. I had this really bizarre conversation in a car ride with a few of my colleagues a few years ago. Where one of them said, "Hey, let's talk about our world, you know, our, our philosophies." I'm a I'm a humanist, <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, I'm not even sure what a humanist is. So I'm like, googling humanist and everything. <laughs> and as the conversation unfolded, he was a humanist. The guy in the passenger seat of the car was. Uh, he said, "Well, I, I grew up in the Jewish faith, but I long abandoned that. I am now um, exploring Buddhism." And then the guy who was by the window is like, well, I grew up Episcopalian, but I've, I'm basically atheist now. The woman sitting next to me is practicing uh, uh, Taoism. I had to look that one up, too. Uh, they weren't interested in my faith at all. Like, by the time we got around, there was no interest in the conversation around, hey, guys, I don't even have a philosophy. I have a relationship with Jesus. Like, that, boy, that shut the conversation down really fast. No one's looking up relationship with Jesus <laughs> on their phone, right? Very, it, it, the mocking about, continues. About two weeks ago, the New Yorker magazine published an article basically saying, Chick-fil-A, go back. Mm, Why are you saw here? that, yeah. Yeah. Don't come, don't come to New York with your judgmentalism. Yeah. They're selling chicken now with a very strong Christian faith and a Christian ethic. But, yeah, I saw that crazy. Right? So we still get it today. 
let's, let's, un, let's continue unpacking. Does anyone recognize the very first opening line of the psalm from the cross? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus screams that from the cross. Now, when you hear that, what do you think is happening? Do you think Jesus has lost his faith in the Father? No. Because a lot of people do. No. Why not? I mean, the way I have always read it is not so much losing faith, but just the Father not being able to be in the presence of the sin as he took it on, so there was an incident where the relationship was severed. So Chuck is all over this. Let's, let's talk about this for a second. A lot of commentators, scholars, talk about this being the moment when Jesus loses faith. And I, I think that's, I personally happen to agree 100% with Chuck. I think that's utter rubbish, and here's why. Jesus wasn't crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, in a vacuum. This was his prayer. What was he praying? He was praying Psalm 22. He was calling our attention to Psalm 22. In fact, he may have prayed the whole thing for all we know, but, you know, Matthew only wrote down the you know, bits and pieces of it. He was praying Psalm 22. Did David lose faith? We know he didn't, because if you read the whole psalm, you know he goes, lament, confidence, lament, confidence. I'm, I don't understand, but I know I have I put my trust in you, and you will come through, and then it erupts into this amazing praise at the end. Dave did, David didn't lose faith. Why would Jesus be losing faith when he's praying David's prayer from the cross? So that's number one. Number two, I think Chuck put his finger on another piece that's incredibly important. I, I, this is sort of a visual I have in my mind for how this all works. This is not in the Bible. Let me just warn you up front. This is extra biblical, like Randy's theory on sin. But if, if, if you're God, so I'm God, I look at the world and I can see the movie, if you will, of, of all of our lives. So if you've ever, uh, has anyone ever edited movies, you know, like on, on a Mac or something, and you get those little frames, you know? So you can kind of see the whole movie, frame by frame by frame by frame. And so God's got like this big storyboard, and he can see the whole movie of your life. And every time you sin, it's a black spot on one of those frames. So you've got this movie just filled with black spots. And then there's Jesus' movie, and he's, his movie looks really good. There's, there's no black spots, nothing. And the whole process of the cross is God basically erases the black spots off of your movie and sticks them on Jesus' movie on the one frame where he dies on the cross. So it's sort of like, uh, did you ever see The Exorcist? Anyone see The Exorcist? All right. You know that scene at the end where the priest is like, take me, take me, take me, and the, the demon comes out of the girl and into the priest and then he, this is a spoiler alert, anyone planning to watch the Exorcist soon? <laughs> I had that for a beautiful Sunday afternoon. <laughs> Let's go watch the Exorcist. <laughs> Priest goes and he jumps out the window and he takes the devil with him and the movie ends and, you know, that's that. And I kind of envision the same thing. All of our movies, they're, they're filled with black spots. And they're going into this one frame on Jesus' movie. It's the one frame God the Father can't see because it's full of all of our sin, all our past, present, future sin. For our lives, people who haven't come, who haven't even born yet, for everyone who's ever lived, all on that black frame, Jesus is crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because Jesus is the only person in the history of humankind for whom God actually had forsaken him. In that moment, he couldn't see God. His communion was broken. In that moment, God couldn't see him. The relationship was severed. 
He was showing his humanity. So he's as human as he's going to get right now. Well, because he's now carrying the entirety of our imperfection in this moment. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So it'd be easy to see why commentators would say maybe he's lost faith in God. Well, to, to your point, though, the human perspective, I mean, he was fully human and fully, exactly. fully God. Right. So from the human perspective, you know, his heart may have felt like David's for, for, for a moment of time. I think it probably did. And as we see with David, it's okay to feel that way. It doesn't mean you don't have faith. Right? Sometimes I think we might confuse doubt. Uh, I think you talked about worry a couple weeks ago. Worries, doubts, anger toward God, uh, you know, depression. All of these things we confuse with a breach of our faith. And what we're learning is... It's very human, and it's very normal, and God expects it. And not only that, God experienced it on the cross. Jesus experienced the full range of these emotions. And, and I just want to point out a few more things. Alan uh, covered a few, but if you actually read through, when he talks about people insulting, that's all the insults come down from the cross. They say, trust in the Lord. That's the whole reference to, you know, if you really are God, save yourself. He's poured out like water. All his bones are out of joint. Does that sound familiar at all? Anyone know what happens on the cross that references that? That's right. His shoulders are dislocated. Remember before the cross, they also scourged him, right? They whipped the skin off his back with these cords with stuff on it, and, right? So his bones were literally showing. His shoulders are out of joint as he sinks into this thing. And then what's this reference to being poured out like water? There's a sign, that's right. Under extreme duress, the heart gets surrounded by fluid, by water, basically. So when they pierce his side, first water, then blood. So these references just keep going. His heart is turned to wax and melted within him. It's the same reference there. His mouth dried up. What does he say from the cross? I thirst. I thirst. He doesn't say, my mouth is dried up like a pot shirt. Probably too hard to say at that moment in time because he's in such pain. I thirst. Uh, they divide the clothes. But then he shifts into this idea of praise. And what are the last words Jesus says on the cross? It is finished. It is finished. Which is a direct reference to the last line of this psalm, which says, They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, He has done it. What has he done? What did he finish in this moment on the cross? took on all the sins. So here's an interesting, in our last three minutes before the bells ring, what does this mean for us when we pray? What is verse 21b in our lives? He has answered you. He's answered you. Now isn't that interesting? Let's, let's, this, this is actually one of these mind-bending things. Because oftentimes I think, I personally... Paul says our, we live by faith, not by sight. But honestly, I live a lot by sight. Because when I pray to God, I'm like, God, please help me you know, deal with this difficult issue at work. And what I expect is God to somehow do something within me and like, ooh, I suddenly know what to do or something's going to happen. Or please heal me. You know, we pray about healing all the time. And I'm sure God does those things. I'm sure God is very active in our lives. And when we have faith, 
we can see what he's doing in our lives, but so often it seems like we can't see what he's doing in our lives. But we've forgotten something really important. He's already done it. <clears throat> he has already done it. Hmm. What about when we're angry at somebody and we want God to bring down his justice on that person? Has he done that? He's done that. Because if God were to actually bring justice into the world, we'd all be dead. Because we've all sinned in some form or fashion. Every sin is a, is a sin against God, whether it's a big one or a little one. It doesn't matter in his eyes. So when we pray for justice, we don't know what we're saying. When we pray for justice, we're asking for God to strike us down. When the psalmist pray for justice, they're asking for God to strike someone else down. And God said, I will. I am going to dash one baby's head against the rock, and it's my son. I am going to strike somebody down, and it's my son. I am going to administer justice on my son. All of these things that you're praying for, all of these things that you want, I'm going to do to my son. And as a result, what do we get in return? When we place our faith in Jesus and know that all our little black spots are being transferred from our movie of life to his movie of life, what, what's, the answer, what's the ultimate answer to that prayer? To it. Salvation. And what is salvation if not a relationship with God himself? Right? I loved how Don Harp used to say, if you don't like church, you're not going to think much of heaven. <laughs> because what is heaven other than an eternal relationship with God? When we pray to God with all of our prayers and all of our pains and all of the things that we want, God says, I've answered your prayer, and what you get is me. The answer to your prayer is me. Verse 21b is me. A relationship with me. And what do we know happens when we have a relationship with God and we're praying out of pain? It gives us comfort. We're praying because we're, we're weak. It gives us strength. We're praying because... We are bitter. He gives us forgiveness. Right? As we deepen our relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the answer to our prayer is Jesus Christ in our lives, living through our lives. That's the ultimate answer to our prayers, to all of our prayers. We live by faith, not by sight. So the next time you cry out to God, where are you? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Remember that he's already answered our prayer. Through the cross, your prayer has been answered. And when you know that, when you, when you can bring that from your head to your heart, like David, you too will erupt in an unending praise to a Father in heaven who created all of this and yet loves you and you and you and you and you and you. He loves all of us individually. When he looks at you, he sees perfection. He sees a perfect movie, absent spots and blemishes. He sees his beloved. Your prayers have been answered. My prayers have been answered. We can praise God for Closing thoughts. The bells haven't rung. Is that fast? Maybe that's fast. No, it did ring. It did? Did I just blow right through it? (laughs) On the other side, it's really loud. (laughs) You can't escape it. Closing thoughts. Oh, Oh, well, no. I was going to say, if we have any thoughts, but ultimately we can close the prayer. Oh, I'll certainly do that. We can get through with the discussion. I will do that. Yeah, we'll we'll go for a minute or something. 
closing thoughts? Well, you know, he already knows everything before you bring it to him anyway. That's a good, that's a good analogy to make. Yeah, and that's something. I sometimes remember the song like, and God, please bless Holly, my wife Holly, and my girls, Laura, Julie, and Sarah. And then somewhere in the back of my mind, I'm like, pretty sure he knows that already. <laughs> but it's still good to say it. I like, I feel like I feel that. I was, yeah, I was struck by Sunday's comment. I mean, that, 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 that's great. I didn't even really get that. I just thought he, like, started to think about stuff. But, but it, it's what God just speaks to you quietly in prayer. Yeah. And he goes, you know, here I am complaining and whatever, man, and, and, and he realizes that, you know, God answers him and then shifts gears. And, mm -hmm. and, uh, that's, that's something very powerful about that, right? Yeah, yeah there's something... Something had to happen. That's probably, you know. Yeah, but that happened, think about your own prayer life. I mean, that, that happens to me all the time. You know, like, he'll, he'll tell you, and you go, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, it, but you're trying to find it in the words, like you say, and it's not in the prayer itself, because it's not like... And then God said. Yes. Yeah. God, but God speaks to us all the time if we're listening for it. And what's interesting about prayer, I'll close with this. Prayer, uh, as Chuck just said, we have to pray because this is how God shapes us. Right? When we study his word, when we come together, he's with us. And when we pray, he is shaping us. And the Psalms are actually an interesting way to pray. Um, we don't have time to get into how to pray the Psalms more broadly, but it's an interesting because they are so real and they're so human and they're so full of emotion that we don't often bring to our prayer. It takes us from a superficial, superficial level of prayer to something that is very real and powerful like what we just saw with Psalm 22. And God does answer us through those prayers because we start to realize how God actually operates and how he works through our lives. The more time we spend with him, the more we become like him. And the more we become like him, the more our prayers are answered. Which is pretty cool. Let's close in prayer, speaking of that. Dear God in heaven, again, we're grateful for this time together. Um, we ask that you forgive us because so often we, we, we pray with petitions, with the longings of our heart. And we, we think that somehow by making you a genie in the bottle, we can get what we want. And we, we forget that the true nature of our faith is that you have answered our prayers through the cross and the work of Jesus Christ. You've answered our prayers by taking our sins off of our shoulders and placing them on your sons and taking them to the grave so that when you look at us, you see perfection. And so, God, as we continue in our faith journey, help us in our prayer lives to know that you have done it. You have completed that work. There's nothing more that you need to do. And all that we need to do is connect with you to build a relationship with you so that you can form your son's life through our own and through shaping us in the, the image of your son Jesus we will become more like him uh, and our prayers will be answered help us to know that God and to give you eternal praise for it for the great work that you've done be with this wonderful group as we go out into the world may we be a light uh, and unto others no matter what they bring back to us in terms of mocking or insults help us to stay firm in our faith and to, to continue on with confidence knowing that you are there. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a great week, everybody.